So good morning and welcome to this week's edition of the Property Buyers and Sellers podcast. And this week we are privileged to be with one of the premier solicitors here in London from Alan Buckley, and that is Hema Sharma. Hema, welcome to the show and thanks for coming on. Oh, hi, Ken. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be up so early in the morning. Uh, yes, well, we're sorry to drag you out of bed, but we like to get the podcast out every Friday. And of course, this week's a special week. There's a lot going on or a lot has gone on, hasn't it, in, in the property market? And I thought it was important to get another perspective, especially from an esteemed lawyer like yourself, so we can look at it from your perspective and, and see what you're thinking on the current situations. I'm just going to go over the headlines for this week's listeners. So the current stamp duty holiday will remain in place until the 30th of June 2021. That's an extension of three months, which is widely trailed. And if you listen to last week's podcast, you'll know it's exactly what we expected. Um, after this date, the nil rate band will be reduced to 250 until the end of September. And the usual level of 125 will return as of 1st of October. Well, the clear thinking there is that instead of having that cliff edge that we had in March that everyone was dreading, is that it's actually tapered. And I think also the thinking on that is the average house price in the UK is 250,000. Uh, so by doing that, what he's done is still excluded a lot of people from the liability of paying that duty. Yeah. Um, but there's not much saving in that second band. Uh, no. we're, we're talking about the difference between a 15,000 pound saving and a 2,000 pound saving. I'm not sure that's enough to prevent another cliff edge. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think we can avoid a cliff edge, to be honest. Um, yeah. Yeah, the average prices in London are between um, 200 and say 350, 400,000, I would say. Yeah, in, in London, it's a bit higher. I, I think it's over 400, but across the UK, it's 250,000. Yeah. And I think that's what the Chancellor was think, was aiming at when he was saying 250. If we could exclude the majority of those transactions from paying, uh, then that should be enough. But it doesn't take account of us here in London, yeah. where that 15,000 pounds is going to reduce to a, a couple of thousand pounds. That's a 13,000 difference. Uh, and that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But I can honestly say, I mean, I've been in this business now for 30 years, and I've never seen such a, a wide ranging bunch of incentives in one go since I was a child. And Maggie Thatcher started the council house right to buy scheme. Um, so I'm quite excited by it. And the stamp duty one I'm really pleased about because, you know, as you know, Hema, we've talked a lot about the fact that many solicitors have struggled. Uh, many, unlike yourself, I must say, don't return calls, don't respond to people. And it's awful. We have all sorts of problems with solicitors not casting this aspersion on you. But we literally got to a stage now where we're Googling solicitors when buyers actually come to us and say we're using this solicitor and we're checking what their, their rating is on Google. You know, we had one just this week that had a one star rating over 100 clients. Wow. And we, we actually said to the buyer, look, if you're using this solicitor, we're going to recommend our vendor doesn't go with you because obviously that sale is not going to go through in time for the stamp duty holiday at the time we were thinking anyway. Um, so that's a big thing. Um, the other couple of things that I think important headlines that are worth grabbing onto um, number one, and I think this is actually bigger than the stamp duty, is the ability of first time buyers to get mortgages at 95 percent. And I should say at this point, this is not financial advice. You need to speak to a financial advisor. This is for educational purposes only. I know Hemel will like me throwing that one in there. Um, but, I, you know, I'm really excited by this because I don't know if you know, Hemel, but previously the 95 percent help to buy scheme was only available for new build. And the problem with that was that developers had a habit of then increasing their prices because the demand was so heavy. And so the gain of people actually getting onto the ladder 
was actually negated by the fact that the prices were pushed so far that mm. first-time buyers were actually overpaying significantly over the market price. And therefore, the whole point of the scheme was almost exploded overnight. And many times we've, we've been to value those properties post someone's bought one and, and there's no uplift for it. There's no profit. There's no equity. And so it's a real problem. But what I'm excited about this time is that they've made it for the general market. And I've been saying for some time that I reckon they must be in the pockets of the major house builders because they're doing this only for the uh, the new build market. So I'm really delighted to see. And I have to say so far, this Rishi has been spot on um, with his thinking, I think. But the idea of first time buyers being able to do what I did when I was younger and actually get a mortgage with a lower deposit yeah. is, is critical to the growth of the market, yeah. I think. Yeah, just that little help, helping hand just to get you on the ladder. And yeah. then, you know, the, the world's your oyster after that, once you've got one under your belt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think the, the double-edged sword of this as well is, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm quite excited. I think this, as you can probably tell, I think this is a market that's going to surprise everybody. And, and there are a number of different reasons I think that. Um, number one, the vaccine and its efficacy has been tremendous. Number two, its rollout has been absolutely, you know, one thing we can be proud of is the way the UK has handled its rollout. There's lots of things we can say, well, well, that was a bit questionable, but in terms of how the vaccine is being applied and how many people are already vaccinated has been absolutely incredible. So we're coming out of that sooner than we expect. And I I think that's got to be a great thing. And I I also think that if you think about this timing wise, we're coming out of this in the springtime. We've been locked down for a long time. Mm -hmm. There'll be a lot of people sat in flats right now that don't want to see another flat again. They want to get out. Priorities have definitely changed for a lot. Of <laughs> definitely, yeah. And I think from that point of view, what that will mean is a good supply of flats coming onto the market. What do first-time buyers need here in London? Yes. Flats. So I think it should be a really good balance of, of buyer and seller. We should have mm-hmm. supply and now equalising with demand. Of course, that doesn't mean people should go out and buy irresponsibly. Um, but by the same token, I do think that there's a good opportunity here. Um, what I question and I wonder right now is how quickly the supply of these new new mortgages will be taken up because I'm not sure there will be sufficient supply to quench demand. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, lenders at the moment are being very um, controlled in their lending, aren't they? They're very yeah. they're taking a lot longer than they used to as well to approve applications. So it really depends on their criteria and what they're looking for in an individual and how risk adverse they are currently yeah. in this current market. And how, how depend will lead to how much they will, uh, how often they will give a ninety five percent mortgage. Um, but it's not to say that they won't, because they did it soon after two thousand and eight when yes. the bigger crash. So it it can definitely happen. I think they they've got the confidence of the um, that the, the economy is moving in the right direction. So lenders should feel a bit more secure that yeah. you know businesses are starting to open again people will be getting back to their usual way of life and this will lead to you know things happening in the economy which means that they can lend because they know yeah. they'll get their funds yeah. back rather than repossessions yeah agreed what they want to do nobody wants that yeah and we're in a low interest rate economy now aren't we and we you know are, um anybody that's an excellent time to get a mortgage (laughs) definitely i saw an article about the fed not long ago saying we're not even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates and of course that has worldwide implications for us here in the uk as well and it's the same here isn't it nobody is thinking about and that's really reassuring for buyers coming in you know question will interest rates go through the roof after i bought and it looks like that's unlikely you know you can never say never i know and also i expect with these first-time buyer mortgages 
we may find that they come with fixed rates attached as part of the deal so that buyers can be assured of their, their future rates. And I think that's going to be quite critical. But also how the lenders treat these rates is going to be critical as well. Speaking to Emily about this um, and her thinking was that they're going to treat it because they're going to be underwriting a portion of the loan. The lender should be able to treat it as though it were a 75% loan uh, or 80% loan. And then the, the government are actually taking underwriting that risk in between. So therefore, they should be able to also offer competitive rates. Because the other thing that's really been frustrating for me is seeing borrowers, older people like me, being able to go out and get mortgages at one and two percent. And then you look at the first time buyer market and it's three and four. And you think well, that doesn't seem fair you know, that they have to pay double the rates that we do and therefore the affordability is is more difficult. So I'm hoping it'd be really interesting to see because, of course, they don't come out until April. Um, and Emily said it's it's watched this space right now. That's our mortgage broker, by the way. He's also uh, a wonderful person. You may have seen her on one of our videos before and we will get her on the podcast as well because she's fantastic. Um, and so, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. Um, yeah. In terms of the market this year, the other thing that came out was capital gains tax. I mean, I was quite surprised by this. I expected capital gains tax to go up in line with um, tax rates, mm -hmm. and therefore I expected us to see CGT go up to 45%. We haven't seen that. Was that a surprise to you? Yes, it was. Everyone was expecting that to happen. Um, yeah. Yeah, inheritance tax, pension, you know, CGT. But um, he's decided not to do that, frozen it, which is good for those you know for people set because obviously you can't yeah. sellers can't be incentivized to sell if they are going to get stung you know they yeah. have to pay up if it is if it, if it isn't their main property um, yeah particularly buy to let investors are the ones that this is going to impact aren't they and you know that's the thing is i'm thinking now that's a really good because actually it hasn't forced those decisions either because had he have increased those rates in the near term it would have brought forward a lot of those selling decisions yes. where people might have decided to hold on to the properties. And I've noticed in London as well that the, we've had a huge under delivery on the amount of new builds. I don't know if you saw that the mayor has under delivered by two thirds on the amount of new homes being built in London. And, and already the total that he was building was insufficient for London. So I, I personally feel like the idea that London, there has been a change of thought process and, and many people a permanent change of how and where they work and that's exciting and fun and great but i still think london will be an epicenter for work and people will still be flooding back here as it reopens oh yeah absolutely There's, yeah it's, it's nice to have that idea that you can commute you can live further away and commute in but also yeah. people still like the whole buzz of london and the yeah. environment and the climate you know the just people um working in a vibrant city really yeah, and just people, really, right? That's what we've all been missing, isn't it? Actually, actually being around other people, especially in, in London, one of the coolest, in my view, the coolest city in the world. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Um, but what are your thoughts on the market going ahead? I mean, already I'm getting lots of instructions since this news has been announced, which is great yeah. uh, for me and for other solicitors out there. But we're... So I hope, obviously, that will continue until to June. And then I think we've got to see what then happens after that. But I feel that if the economy kickstarts, which it will do by the summer, then the drop-off shouldn't be too much in terms of people's ability. To yeah. And especially with the additional mortgage um, offers that are being put forward for, for first-time uh, first buyers, then 
you know, there should still be a bit of um, movement in, in the property market and shouldn't stall yeah. immediately because um, yeah. for the country, that's a really good revenue, to be honest. Um, property yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think the first time buyer bit is actually more important than the stamp duty bit, provided yeah. there's sufficient supply um, because the market moves from the bottom up. And if you don't get those people moving from the flats, what we've seen experienced massively, and I'm sure you have too, is let to buy where people are not selling theirs, mainly because A, they can't, or B, they've got a fire safety issue. And those people are, are kind of trapped and, and deciding to rent out and they're, they're becoming what we call accidental landlords. Um, and they wouldn't have been that. Or, and there are many people that perhaps don't have the equity that allows them to become that. And those are the, the people that are kind of feeling trapped. And I see uh, hopefully that this will be a big release for them and a great opportunity for first time buyers at the same time. And of course, they then become the middle market buyers. And if there's enough middle market buyers, what happens is that the market does nudge up a bit. And that gives other sellers the chance to look at their neighbors and think, oh, really? They got that price? Maybe now, maybe now I can move. So, you know, the, I, I'm not a great advocate of prices going through the roof and, you know, forever. And then we end up in a bubble situation. But I do think a little bit of house price growth actually brings confidence. And that confidence is badly needed uh, at the end of a pandemic. And I think, you know, it's quite obvious that Rishi has taken housing as a real priority for the economy in terms of driving us out of this pandemic. Yeah. No, absolutely. I totally agree with that. I think he's he has focused on it from the start, which has been amazing. Um, and it means that, um, like you say, we can all look, you know, towards the end of the year positively, hopefully, um, as things progress over the next couple of months. Um, and we can see some, um, you know, positive movements, well, more positive movements in the property market. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're probably too young to remember a program called Bullseye, but I heard an amusing comment on LBC Radio this week. There was a guy called Jim Bowen, and when you used to play the game, what he would do is when you would lose, he would then say to you, oh, never mind, look what you could have won, and then he'd show you the speedboat that you would have won if you got there. <laughs> and someone used that as an analogy for the 3 million self-employed, saying, you know, he's 600,000, he's helping, the other 2.4 million, saying, you know, look what you could have won. <laughs> I thought that was a great analogy, but you have to be as old as me probably to remember the program. Um, corporation tax as well, uh, yeah. that's gone up. But the interesting thing about that is that the lower rate applies for small businesses and it's only those with profits over 250,000. Yeah. So again, a softer landing for corporation tax. And and 2023. Yeah. So it, yeah, from 2023, that's absolutely right. Yeah. I didn't mention that. You're quite right. And I think that's fantastic news as well. I mean, look, we, we know there's got to be some pain somewhere. At some point, we've got to pay for this pandemic, right? Um, and yeah, bigger companies like Amazon, all the online companies, they sort of need to pay their share of uh, costs. Absolutely. Yeah. And fuel and alcohol as well. Big surprise. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I was expecting both of those to go up and, um, and neither did. Because everybody needs a little bit of alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> so where do you see at the moment? Where are the big, because I mean, what a lot of people will be worried about now. We're in March. September is is when we we've got ahead for now. Yes. Um, well, sorry, June we've got ahead for first of all, haven't we? Uh, the June deadline. So we're looking at um, three months from from now. The average transaction time. I know with you it's better, and with us it's better generally. Um, but the average transaction time before the pandemic was running at eight to twelve weeks. Mm -hmm. Now we're running at sixteen to twenty. Mm -hmm. What's your advice to people thinking of selling right now to try and meet that June deadline? Really be prompt in your responses and um, in, in some cases there can be sticking points where people 
aren't able to provide the necessary certificates for works, etc., at the property. And um, solicitors on the other side tend to offer a solution by way of indemnity, and they use and that would cost about a couple of hundred pounds usually. Obviously, the solicitor would convert. Yes. But there always seems to be a bit of um, toing and froing on those points of a couple of hundred quid when really people should just look at the bigger picture. Take a view. Absolutely. Yeah. For our listeners that don't know about indemnities, just if I can just explain what yeah. an indemnity is. So this is basically where you've got a problem with your property and, and what you do instead of resolving the issue, you provide an insurance policy. It doesn't resolve the original issue. And the issue might be the removal of a wall that's been that way for 20 years. And what you do is you offer a policy, which means that if that wall's ever a problem, then the insurance policy will kick in. And this policy is transferable to new owners. So that doesn't resolve the underlying problem. It ensures against it becoming a problem later on for you or future owners. Um, sorry, Hema, carry on. I just wanted to yeah, people might no, not know no. what an indemnity was. Yes, that, I mean, the main issue for anybody is obviously with any works taking place at the property is structural safeness and enforcement from the council. Yes. Structural safeness can be signed off by the surveyor, but the uh, indemn you know, the enforcement from the council is covered by the indemnity. Um, yes. So for for that purpose, offer the two hundred quid reduction and move on and sell your property quicker rather yeah. than it be dragging out for i've seen it in cases where it's been dragged out for two to three weeks yes these sorts of points when yeah. quite easily we could have exchanged two to three weeks earlier with a seller paying say two to three hundred pounds towards an indemnity policy which means that the buyer and his lender are um adequately um secure in their you know ability to proceed to yes completion with that um indemnity policy but it is about being prompt and communication i find it's there is a lot he's i've spoken to this person and they said they've spoken to that person but really there just needs to be clear Mm. lines of communication between the estate agent the solicitors and the seller and buyer so important i mean you and i were involved in a case which will remain nameless recently where um, there was a digging by a solicitor for no real reason that would impact either buyer or seller. Um, but they dug into such a degree that they were about to cost their purchaser the purchase, weren't they? We managed to speak to the purchaser and explain to them what was going on. And luckily, they didn't just take verbatim what their solicitor had said, because had they done so, we'd have had no choice but to withdraw from the sale. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that can come along, isn't it? Is that sometimes, and I exclude you from this, um, because I know you well enough to know that never, you wouldn't do it. But there are solicitors out there that will dig in on a point of law that has no impact whatsoever on the sale. But for yeah. some reason, they seem to want to grab hold of it and not let go. And I find that so frustrating and, and so short sighted and a bit selfish, frankly. Yeah, it should be a commercial view because you're acting for an individual who's got an interest in something that they want to purchase. You are yes. acting for them and their lender. Um, and yes, the, the law has to be there as long as your client understands what they should normally expect, what isn't being provided and what the effects of those, the absence of that document or thing is um, and it not at their risk, um, then there shouldn't be any issue. But the commercial view should be balanced. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one thing I should say here, because I know that this comes up, it's actually coming up in another case that you're not involved in with us at the moment, is that sometimes and quite often the solicitors will act for both lender and purchaser. So whilst they might want to help the purchaser, their hands are tied by the fact that the rules of the lender say that the solicitor has to abide by a certain thing, which the buyer may think is, is of nil impact, but actually the solicitor has no choice 
but to abide by the rules. And I know that that gives you a, a split loyalty that can sometimes be uh, conflicting. Yes, it can be conflicting and that, that can be a problem. Ultimately, we have to tell the buyer that we act for not only them, but also the lender who's also investing X amount of money. If you see it as, as yeah. that, you know, I'm you're the legal owner, but the, the lender is also investing their funds into the property. And, and we have to, again, have a balanced um, view at, at both people's requirements of what they require. I've had a recent case where... Um, there was an internal works at the property and um, they, uh, the council hadn't given the consent or in the process of doing the consent, the buyer asked me if we can proceed without uh, the consent, though we know it's coming from the council. Um, and I immediately said, I have to run this past the lender because of course. it's a structural issue. We have to run it past them. You have no choice. Yeah, which the client, once he understood the position of, of our obligations to client and lender, understood that we had to write to them and explain the scenario and um, they were fine with that. But whether a conflict arises where the client may say, no, please don't, I really don't want that to be discussed, but I want to proceed, that becomes an obvious conflict of interest. We can't then act for both parties because we're yeah. our obligations are being sort of separated and we can't do that legally. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're still, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, we're having a lot of issues still with blocks where EWS1 works. And, and for those listeners that don't know, uh, since the Grenfell fire, there have been uh, restrictions and um, investigations into large buildings, particularly those over a certain size. Uh, I think it's 18 metres or four storeys typically, where um, fireworks need to be investigated to make sure if there's any flammable cladding or materials which might uh, cause a fire at a later stage and we've had things like materials removed on the outsides of buildings we've had waking watches where they're employing people to sit in the building 24 hours a day almost like a security guard to look out for fires and it's quite serious financially because those people if you think of an eight hour day and then 24 hours in a day that's three employees per day even in a small block with one waking watch guard and it's it's a hugely expensive thing and what we're finding is now that some of these blocks have their EWS1 certificate, which is great, meaning we can move on. But obviously, there's a bigger question of are there still any implications and costs ongoing in the next uh, service charge period? So that, you know, and this is can be a really gray area. And the, the work, some of these blocks that are in between works, it can be even worse where I'm saying to people, look, if you don't even know what the costs are yet. You, there's nothing you can really do. You're better off either waiting or, or actually renting the property out in the meantime. And there's been a couple of those in the last couple of years. I'm sure you've experienced similar recently. Yeah, I mean, we actually, the last case I had where the certificate was needed by the lender who wouldn't proceed without seeing that, actually, our broker, lovely Emily, found another lender who didn't need it. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Actually, it didn't really meet the criteria, and I think the lender was being overzealous. Um, but yeah, we are finding that in terms of onward sales of those properties, um, I'm not actually seeing a lot of them because I think a lot of them are holding ground at the moment and not yeah, yeah, not going for market at the moment. But um, yeah, the obvious costs of these works are going to fall onto the leaseholder at present, I believe. So yeah, um, and and the future costs of uh, getting it right but i know that there are some arguments going on currently with you know government to say that this shouldn't happen it shouldn't be passed on to the leaseholders 
Yeah, I just don't think the funds are big enough, Emma. When you look at the amounts of money that the government are allocating to these funds versus the amount of money that we're seeing going out, there's going to be a disparity. And I already know several large blocks where leaseholders, well, um, you probably know there was a publicised case where a lady actually declared herself bankrupt, a young lady, which is so sad to see a young person in that situation. Um, and, it, you know, at, at least now, hopefully, we're out the other side of, of many of those situations. But um, it's something to watch out for, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But um, I don't think he mentioned anything in the budget uh, regarding that, did he, um, in terms of no. the allocation of money for? Yeah, there, there was an allocation of, of more funds to that just prior to that. He did pledge some more money to the fund. Um, but I think it's the shortfall is still immense in terms of uh, just the major works, let alone all the ancillary works. For me, I always think, you know, and it comes back to what I was saying about build, big builders and, and government being hand in glove, is that the big builders should have been paying for this. You know, it wasn't the lessee that put that cladding there. It was the big builders. And those big builders have profits in the hundreds of millions. Um, mm -hmm. It would take a small levy on those to, to take care of the whole problem. And I think that's where they should have gone with it. I understand now there are levies on these big builders, but I think they should have covered the whole thing, really. I 100% agree with you. I mean, if you did rectification work in your home, something you, if you did some work in your home and there was a defect with that, you wouldn't you know go to the other householders and say contribute towards the rent you would go back to the builder and say please can you sort yeah exactly yeah. exactly I'm yeah not, you're the expert in in these matters not me um yeah. so i do feel that they are being quite unfair to the leaseholders passing on the cost it's the easiest thing to do it's always the thing to do i find um especially but nowadays people have a voice and, and can protest us you know and yeah and it yeah. It's very good to hear that loud and clear, isn't it? And it's obviously yeah. had an impact on government, um, which yeah. which is great. Um, I don't think, you know, they've, they've done exactly the right thing, but it has called them to order and made them do something at least. Yes. Uh, but Hammer, thanks very much for your time today. It's very good of you to come on and, and give your comment on the market. And um, thanks very much for your time. I'd just like to finish the show with a little quote of the week. Um, every week we do a little quote of the week at the end of the podcast. And today, this one comes from someone very special, it's from Mahatma Gandhi. Keep your thoughts positive because your thoughts become your words. Keep your words positive because your words become your behavior. Keep your behavior positive because your behavior becomes your habits. Keep your habits positive because your habits become your values. And keep your values positive because your values become your destiny. Love that. That's the quote of the week this week. Emma, thanks very much for your time. It's been great. Thank you. Stay safe and well. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back same time next week.